now it's time for ketchup kitchen catch-ups So I don't think that's got my gut there at all, but hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. What? Hello and welcome to this episode of Ketchup Kitchen Ketchups. I am your host as always. Michael Hayes, your favorite B-movie maniac, and I am here on the microphone talking again as uh, as usual. Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm doing this us again. Should just edit that out, right? Because no one cares except for me, and then it gets annoying when I talk about it. So I'm just going to try to not talk about it for the most part anyway. Hi everybody. Hope everyone's doing a real good good day today on, you know, Wednesday or Thursday or whatever freaking day it is you are listening to this cuz it could be any day. Or you might not be listening to this at all. This could be no days, but that, you know, that's a whole different story. Anyway, uh I want so this is going to be a catch town, but I wanted to get uh what do you call it? Apologize for last week. Um, I, I got, things got a little heated with my cat, tiny cat, TC, and, uh, I wanted to apologize to both her and the listening public one, uh, because I got a little heated with her and I, you know, kind of kicked her off the podcast. Uh, but so I'm sorry for that. Oh, and TC is here. TC, sorry about that. Th- thank you, sweetheart. And uh, I also want to apologize to the listeners because A, y'all shouldn't have had to hear that. And B, uh, you know, the sound of me eating that meatloaf was pretty gross. And it really wasn't fair to Hunts because that meatloaf that TC brought in, no offense, TC. Oh, now you're going to scratch on the wall. Hey, hey, well, cut it out. Cut it out. No, you... Uh, one, one moment, folks. Come on. You can't scratch the wall. No wall scratching. All right. You going to say anything else? All right, then you're going out. Sorry. Jeez, sorry, folks. Oh, uh, yeah, we just got some nice carpet up on some of the walls here in the new studio slash kitchen. And um, it's she likes it. I mean, it's real cheap shit. It's just good for sound uh, stuff. And so she is just loving it on that wall. She likes to scratch it. And it seems fine. But, you know, I don't want her to get in the habit of that. So either way, uh, the sound of it was pretty gross. Eating that uh, meatloaf cat food stuff. And it wasn't fair to hunts because it had... Hunts later in the week was eaten. We, so we opened up that. I opened up the hunts to work with TC on the, on the meatloaf she made, and uh, me and my roommate Chris Arneson had some hunts with some fries we had later in the week. And like, man, 
Hunts is good. Hunts is coming back. I'm going to have Hunts back on because I want a proper taste test with Hunts with someone else because it was it's good. Like I'm pretty sure I'm calling it right now. I think it might be my favorite standard of the of the big ketchups. So we'll see. But anyway, uh, so yep. Sorry about all that. Uh, sorry about how this beginning of this episode was a train wreck too. TC's just fucking everything up apparently. Sorry, TC, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but kind of were. So I'm just going to call a spade a spade. Anyway, let's get in to the main beef. Well, not beef, the main bulk of this, what's happening here in this, this podcast episode, Catchtown part four. This week, we're going to get into, uh, this is all still from the Pure Ketchup, A History of America's National Condiment with Recipes by Andrew F. Smith, which if you haven't been listening to any of the previous Catchtown episodes, you you might want to check it out uh, because this book's great. It's got a lot of cool facts about ketchup and history and not just, because the ketchup seems to be a bit of a, what do you call it, a mystery. So So this book doesn't just claim to know where it is. It gives it really has given a pretty broad idea of where ketchup has come from and how it has moved through the culture. Um, and some stuff is known as facts, but it doesn't just claim like you'll read some some vice news article about some shitty kid who who's who 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 puts a clickbait title on it called ketchup's the worst condiment and if you like it you're a dumbass or something like that, right? Like I like a bunch of Vice News stuff. They get at the nitty gritty sometimes, but this give me a break. Take the edge off. It's just fucking ketchup, and you don't even know what ketchup is because they claim it comes from one place, you know. But really, it's it's but no one really knows, and there's stuff that really negates a lot of the popular beliefs of the origins of ketchup, and that's all in this book, and it's really great. So if you get a chance, pick it up. You know. Also, I think it's in. It might be in the Google book archives, like book, Google does that. So it might, I forget if it is. Uh, if it is, I'll try to put a link up. But I'll have a link to buy this book because I'm going to read passages from it. So I want to make sure that this guy's getting credit. So anyway, but the point is what we're getting into this week. Uh, let me take the sleeve off so you don't have to hear all this wrinkling noise. What we're going to get into this week is um, reasons for Keshup's initial success. In the past, we've talked about where maybe the, the word ketchup came from, and maybe it's uh, geographical origins and how it how it came to the West and stuff like that. And so now we're going to talk about why it became popular. So sit back, relax. Let me get my mellow reading voice out, and let's dive real deep into Catchtown. Earth, not USA, Earth. Okay. Reasons for Ketchup's initial success. Ketchup's early success can be attributed to many factors. The similarity of ketchup recipes with existent English fish sauces contributed to their early success. In the 18th century, British cook authors cashed in on ketchup's exotic Asian origin. Ketchup's main claim to fame was his purported ability to survive for long periods of time, and claims for longevity escalated. Mushroom ketchup, if properly made and preserved, would likely survive up to a year. Anchovy ketchup lasted about a year, too. Elizabeth Raffold, Raff, Elizabeth Raffold 
claimed that her recipe for walnut ketchup could survive for five years, and she reported that it was even better aged than when it was made first. One of Hannah Glass's recipes for ketchup, and many that followed, were purportedly good for 20 years or more. Likewise, Maria Elizabeth Rundell's walnut ketchup would last 20 years. Lettuce Bryan claimed that her fish ketchup was, quote, good for any length of time. That's, that's a long time. In addition to using natural preservatives such as salt, vinegar, wine, or brandy, ketchup making employed a variety of techniques that were intended to enhance the product's longevity. During the 18th and 19th centuries, air was universally believed to cause putrefaction. Hence, the basic method behind many preservation techniques was to ex exclude air from the bottle or jar and form an airtight seal over the top. This was accomplished with corks dipped in rosin, tightly covered with leather or bladders. Some ketchups, nope, some cooks recommended covering the surface of the ketchup with oil or butter before sealing. So I guess like you put a layer of an oil or butter over it too to help keep, I don't know, another distance, right? From the air that's inside the bottle. I guess that makes sense. Airborne bacteria does cause some types of putrefaction, so excluding air did help preserve the products, but not, type, not all bacteria was necessarily excluded by this method. If mold or other bacteria did appear, several recipes recommended removing the impurity, then reheating and re-bottling the ketchup. Nothing was thrown out unless it was completely unsalvageable. That's gross. Longevity was the single most important factor contributing to ketchup's long-term success. Ketchups were made when the fresh food product was in abundance, and ketchups were employed when fresh products were otherwise unobtainable. As ketchups were integral components to more complicated sauces, sophisticated cookery was not limited to the availability of fruits, vegetables, or other food products during that particular season. So this, I guess, means they would make ketchup out of, what, various items that, you know, were seasonal, right? Like a, like the tomato ketchup or mushrooms and stuff like that. And then in the off-season, when tomatoes or mushrooms or, you know, maybe fish was unavailable, they'd, they'd use these ketchups in these other sauces to help, you know, make that. So I guess that's kind of, <laughs> Jesus, that's kind of like making a pasta sauce and because you don't have any ripe tomatoes in your garden you'd use ketchup instead which which sounds like a real low rent thing but what we're going to get into here in a little bit is that the sugar contents and stuff like that sugar wasn't really added back then um, and in fact I think that is quite literally what we're about to get into here in a second but so I think thinking of the taste of say for a tomato ketchup for example you know, it, it wouldn't be as fake tasting for, you know, it's, it's a concentrate a lot. It's boiled down, it's reduced. So it's not quite like today's modern ketchup to make a pasta sauce. It's something, I guess, probably, maybe closer to a, you know, like a, like a tomato paste or something, right? Or or I guess thicker than that, maybe like a tomato sauce, like just the regular tomato sauce that you would buy canned. Maybe, maybe that's kind of more of an original tomato ketchup. I don't know. 
Let's read on. Despite their diverse textures, colors, and smells, ketchups performed similar culinary functions to add zest, color, and flavor to other foods, and to camouflage the taste of unsatisfactory, unfamiliar, or monotonous foods. It was frequently used as a condiment on various fish and meats. Ketchups also served as components in other sausage, sauces, which is what this, thing, this book just said, <laughs> um, such as white and brown sauces. They were added to soups, stews, ragouts, hashes, and many other, quote, made dishes. Although diverse, early ketchup recipes employed many common ingredients, including cloves, pepper, ginger, and mace. Also featured were highly flavored seasonings, such as garlic, onions, shallots, mustard, horseradish, cayenne, and occasionally chili peppers. The multitude of spices enhanced taste and masked the stench of putrefaction. Hold on. Put doesn't putrefaction mean that it's gone bad? Like, do, do not eat? I mean... I know there's a lot of food waste going on in this world, but like if it's putrefying, it's you're done with it. It goes into the garbage because it's putrefying. It's putrid. I don't have time to look this up, but I'm pretty sure that word means you're done with the food. Sorry. Later ketchup recipe writers reduced the number and quantity of spices to avoid overpowering the natural flavor of the main products and maybe to help people not think they can eat putrefying food because, well, hell, I'll just eat it because I can put my ketchup on there and be all good. It'll be fine. But no, it's going to kill you because it's rotting flesh, rotting whatever. Uh, so maybe getting rid of some of these sauces was, was not just a way of not making it so strong, but also with the, the side effects of saying, now you can't cover up the dead food. The, well, it's all dead food, I guess, but you know what I mean. The... The putrefying food. Jesus. Uh, okay. Initially, well, this is what I was getting at here before, earlier. Initially, sugar was not a commonly used ketchup component. Few non-tomato recipes listed it as an ingredient. And the first tomato ketchup recipe with sugar did not appear until the mid-19th century. It was not a common ingredient until after the American Civil War. Some believed that sugar reduced or removed the tomato's acidic taste. The addition of a little sugar, however, encouraged fermentation, which in turn resulted in a sour product. Consequently, more sugar was added, then more vinegar needed to be added to counteract the sugar, but larger quantities of vinegar chemically created invert sugar, which sweetened the ketchup to even further. Uh, so like, it's just apparently just the whole cycle. Um, as the decades passed, the amount of sugar and vinegar increased substantially in some tomato ketchups to the point where many believed that the taste of the tomato had been lost. I think a lot of people would argue that today, to some extent. The addition of sugar in tomato ketchup was a reflection of the trend favoring sweetness in American cookery. As sugar prices rapidly declined due to the manifold increase in import... In as sugar prices rapidly declined due to the manifold increase in cheese. Well, fuck me. <sighs> Sorry. As sugar prices rapidly declined due to the manifold increase in importations from the Caribbean. Fuck yes. Its use expanded in many dishes, 
Not everyone was pleased with the addition of sugar and ketchup. Most British tomato ketchup's recipes did not include it. Even in America, as late as 1944, Kenneth Roberts reported that in Maine, a sweetened ketchup among some families was, quote, regarded as an offense against God and man, against nature and good taste. Unquote. Wow. That's a strong opinion. What about you guys? What, what, what do you... What do you catchheads, squirters, bottle babies, kitchen kittens, dollopers, scoopers, pieces of shit? I miss someone bottle babies? Either way, what do you guys think? I'd like to kind of get an idea of what, what you folks might think about a sweeter ketchup. I've given my opinions on here before. I don't mind a sweeter ketchup. I think I like a little more tang personally. But if the taste is good, the sweet's okay. Now let me tell you, that Hunt's has got a little tang to it. It's good. Man, it's good. But that'll be, I'm saving that for another podcast. Maybe probably the next one. Um, but yeah, let me, you know, give me a little call on the squirt line. 4197-SQUIRT. Let me know, you know, sweet, tart. What do you prefer? Maybe just in general foods, you know? Do you, do you avoid sweets? It's kind of a trend. People don't want refined sugars these days, right? It's a thing for diets. Um, I don't know. I'm just blabbering now. But either way, I guess, I guess I'm done with this episode. Thank you for listening. And uh, like I said, call the squirt line, 4197-SQUIRT. Pop on iTunes. Give a rate and review the podcast. It's, we're the number five ketchup-related podcast on iTunes. I don't know how, because we've got, you You know, people made on, they've been rating, they've been reviewing and, and thank you so much for that. And, but somehow when you search for ketchup, whatever the algorithm is, other podcasts come up that are not about ketchup, but maybe have ketchup in the title. Like there's a Bob's Burgers one, um, and some other stuff. And there's one that's just some guy who has one episode like a year or two ago that he recorded a three hour long thing, put it up there as a podcast. That's all there is. But somehow that pops up more than mine because it's called like the ketchup instead of ketchup kitchen ketchups. I don't, hmm, maybe I need to start a petition against Apple and just be like, hey, fucking fix this. I don't know. I'm blabbering on. This is stupid. I'm going to go. Thank you all. Bye-bye. I love you, and I wish you to have the best week, and also, you know, beyond that, too. Have a good time. All right. Bye-bye.